Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim, every week bringing you trending topics from the wine world and all sorts of wine geekery. How are you today, Mark? Everything's great, Kim. Excited to talk wine with you and the listeners today. Always excited to uh, to talk about the ins and outs of the wine world with you. And uh, this week, we've got a couple of topics that are related to cooking with wine, but also sometimes bad things happen to good wine bottles and uh, and we need to figure out what to do about that, most specifically when you have crumbly corks. Yeah, the broken and crumbled cork. Ah, oh, so annoying, right, Kim? Yeah. I had a student talk to me about this incident just today. He had an older bottle of port and uh, and what to do when the cork wasn't necessarily behaving <laughs> as it was supposed to. So yeah, like, where do you want to start with this one? Well, I was thinking, you know, there's, there's two ways you're saying that cork not behaving. And there's two things that really happen where the cork is semi-solid, but it cracks in half when you're trying to take it out, right? Or there's the one where it totally, you put the corkscrew in it and it totally just disintegrates and all sorts of little particles. They, mm -hmm. And as they were saying in this article, crumbly cork just goes all over the place, right? So I thought we could kind of talk to them because I think you have to handle them two different ways, right, Kim? The one that just like snaps off is a little bit easier to deal with than when you got this crumbly cork. Yeah. And, and you're right that there are a couple of different ways to handle it. And I feel like sometimes when getting a, a cork out of a bottle and breaks in half and it's more of like, oh, I'm so embarrassed that this happened to me. But you just withdraw your corkscrew and you just try again and then usually it comes out fine. But that crumbly one can really make a mess and then it gets in the wine and you have additional problems associated with it. But I think it's important for people to know that just because something might not be right with the cork doesn't mean that the wine is necessarily going to be bad. Yeah. And that's one of the things the addict was saying. If the cork is broken or crumbles, that means the wine is bad. If I happen to uh, swallow a piece of cork or am I going to be sick? Should I throw the wine away? And it always seems to happen at just the absolute worst times, right, Kim? I mean, we're either setting up for an event, you have a special wine you want to share, and all of a sudden you can't get the cork out. or And you feel, like you said, it's, sometimes it's a little embarrassing because, you know, people are kind of looking at us thinking, oh, they <laughs> exactly. show us how to do this. And, oh, you snapped the cork or the like, thing. These people are supposed to know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I thought was really nice in the article to say, why would a cork. Let's talk about the crumbly thing. Why would a cork do that? What are some of the reasons? And they mentioned like three or four different ones. The first of which was the cork is faulty, which right. is which that tends to be when it splits. I think the cork has a seam or something in it. And yeah. when it splits in half. So that's one thing. They mentioned uh, humidity. You might have stored it and the humidity kind of dried out the cork. This is the one that we talk about a lot. I feel like it's like if the wine isn't kept in 
a particularly good condition, then it can affect the cork and then ultimately down the road affect the quality of the wine because now you don't have a stopper that is protecting that wine from air. So I think that that is a a big one that people get concerned about. You may know this off the top of your head, but what is the average humidity you're supposed to keep a wine at? Do you know what it is? It's high-ish. Like it's, always, it's always a test question. That 75% <laughs> maybe? It's pretty humid, right? So yeah, it doesn't dry humid. out the cork. And they mentioned uh, storage issues. And we talked about this before, Kim, where they were always saying store wine upside down so that the wine is touching the cork and keeps it moist. So it Upside down or on its crumb. side? On its side. I'm sorry. Yeah, upside down. <laughs> how, how I store well, I store it upside down in cases when it's not on the oh, shelf. Oh, gotcha. Laying it yes. on its side so the wine touches. Then we saw some theories that said, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, that, I remember reading that last year yeah. where, where it was like trying to debunk the storing wine on its side thing. So, I mean, I, even I'm a little confused these days as to what you should do. Yeah. And I always feel the wetness touching the cork, I think, is always good to keep at least the end of it will stay moist, right? And it's also good, I think, storing it that way. So if you have a faulty cork, you're going to see it quicker if it's leaking through than if hmm. you have stored them straight up and it's never you know, coming towards the seal. I think that's a different and probably a pretty smart perspective. Like you notice that there's a problem before you would otherwise. Yeah. Years ago, we flipped everything over, right? Retail, restaurants, you had to store them on a side. You had to, in the case, you had to flip them over. And I still get some suppliers or or, uh, wineries that send them in. The the case is printed one way, but they're upside down in the case. Mm -hmm. So it kind of throws you off when you pick it up because the weight is totally shifting. One of the other things they said, why would a cork do this, was the age of the wine. And you mentioned it at the beginning. You had an aged wine and you went to to take the cork out, it just totally broke on you. So where should we go now, Kim? How to get the the crumbled or or broken corks out? Or Yeah, let's do like how to get it out of your bottle. And then we can address what happens if you have some crumbly bits of cork in your wine or in your wine glass. Okay, so you want to stick with we... We put the corkscrew in, the thing totally disintegrated, and there's all little bits of cork all over the place, right? Crumbled Mm -hmm. cork? Crumbled cork. What do you do? So there are... A couple of different devices that you could do to try to get that cork out. So this article recommends that maybe you use like a bent nail or something to kind of pull the rest of it out. There's a particular kind of corkscrew that's not really a corkscrew, but it's got two prongs. And if you can wiggle it on either side of the cork, then you can uh, gently sort of twist the cork out of the bottle. But sometimes you might have had half that cork sort of crumble into the wine and then the other half is just stuck to the bottle and on the side. And sometimes the only thing you can do is just push it into the wine and then pour out the wine and uh, and deal with it after the fact. All right. I got a bunch That's of how follow-up. I've had to do it. I, I got a bunch of follow-up questions now. First, <laughs> on the nail thing, have yeah. you ever driven a nail into the cork? I have not. Because I, I feel I, like whenever I've tried it, tried things like this, it never works out for me. It just pushes it in. I I don't see the difference. I've never done it, but I don't see the difference with putting a nail in it and threading the corkscrew back in it. Yeah. Like just if it doesn't work with the corkscrew, why is it going to work with something else? Yeah. And then you push when you hammer the nail in, it's going to just push it in. But maybe you need to use something gentler like a paper clip or something, you know, to kind of like hook it in there and then pull it out. Well, you know what? Next time I break one, I'm going to save it and we'll do a show. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I'm going to talk as we try to jam the nail through and we'll practice. do that. Yeah, because I just don't understand that. Mm. Okay. And the next point, you mentioned the special open. This is kind of unusual because I've never seen them really in store, only like specialty wine magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called a Durand wine opener. Oh, yeah. So those are the like the really fancy ones. Yeah. Uh, you were talking just the one with the prongs, right? Right. But okay, the Durand so- is a prong. And a corkscrew. And a corkscrew in the middle. Yes. And it's like $150. <laughs> and I have to tell you, Kim, my dad, you're talking the one with just the prong. So you would put a prong on either side of the cork, slide it in, and then you, it kind of grabs it and pops it out. Mm-hmm. My dad would use that thing to open everything. Never had a corkscrew. I could never even get the stupid prongs in the bottle ever. It would be so tight to jam it in there. Yeah. And it would always just create more crumble when you're pushing it in it would always end up with some crumble in the wine but my dad could feed this thing in and slide any cork out in one piece i have one and i actually really like it for without, difficult w- bottles without the centerpiece just yeah, the two prongs with just yeah. the prongs and you like it i do if i have a delicate cork i will try using this handy little tool on that instead of a regular corkscrew and how can you tell let's explain to the listeners i take the foil off a of wine. I'm looking at the cork. Before you even feed in the corkscrew, how can you tell that it's going to be delicate and you're going to need to take a little more care, maybe use the prongs to get it out? Sometimes I feel like you can tell from the condition of the bottle. Often, if I have an older bottle, I won't even try the corkscrew. So just the age alone. You, age just alone nervous. sometimes, yeah. yeah, is enough to me a little bit nervous about opening it up. And what ballpark are you talking like? 10 years old, older than 10? Yeah, like 10 at the at the youngest. Yeah. But sometimes it's really hard to tell until you put that corkscrew in or if you just touch the cork and it feels a little spongy. Yeah, yeah, soft. Usually yeah. you should have a little bit of, you have to really try to thread it in there. Yeah. Yeah, so you can tell when we've opened up many bottles, you always kind of know when you're first guiding it in that, oh, no, I'm going to have a problem. So you might want to ease out the thread and go with the prongs. Yeah, but it is hard to tell just by looking at it. And you you mentioned, Kim, okay, so we had to do something drastic. We had to push the cork in. It broke. I, I couldn't get it out. I just pushed it in. It fell in the bottle. What's the next step? Do people say, oh, no, I got to throw it out. Uh, you know, this wine's no good now. The cork is in the wine. What's the recommendation for what to do next? So what I think people should do next, if you have larger particles of cork so that it's it hasn't sort of broken down into like a dustiness, but just sort of chunks, I would take a another bottle or a decanter if you have it or even just a really, really big glass and set a strainer over it as fine as you have. Um, But just, you know, a regular little strainer from the kitchen. And I would just pour the wine through that so that the strainer catches the cork. And then hopefully you don't have too many tiny little particles left in your wine. Yeah, those particles are so, uh, so annoying. But this is when it's nice to have a decanter around because then you can pour it directly into something that actually looks nice when you pour the wine out of it. Yeah. And hopefully... If you decant, you keep doing that. It doesn't really, if it's an old wine, it could hurt it. So be careful. I did have one time where I had like a five liter 
wine I had stored for the longest time, and I broke it out for a party at a restaurant, and the restaurant was going to open and serve it, and they couldn't get the thing out. Oh, you know, no. One of those huge corks, and it totally just disintegrated. I brought that up, Kim, because I wanted to ask you, how did you deal with this situation in a restaurant? So say the server pick the bottle, they start opening it, the cork breaks. Do you immediately stop and get another bottle? What's the procedure in a restaurant? Do they just put it aside and return that? Or do they try to get it out? They try to get it out. So this was one of the situations where it was important it was really nice for the staff to have one of those special corkscrews that has the prongs and the worm in it because the sommelier or whoever was like the lead beverage manager at the time could use that tool to try to get the cork the rest of the way out of the bottle. So that's where it sort of paid for itself, I feel like, because it kind of added to the presentation, but it's also like, here, we have the appropriate tool to fix this situation. So like that was an important part of service for our restaurant was making sure that, you know, when you did have an issue with the cork, that we had a way to to fix it. I'm surprised. I, I can understand like something happens. It's it's actually cool presentation to show you can get it out. But I would think from time standpoint, the restaurant would just say, you know what, we're going to return this as a just like we would a cork bottle. Well, and I think sometimes it depended on what was the wine. Yeah. You know, if it was not Inventory a fancy bottle. Yeah. If it yeah. wasn't a fancy bottle, then we might not have taken the time to do that. Did but you I see think for, for things that were either allocated or something that was more of a of a specialty bottle, we would take the time. Did you see a lot of damaged corks in, in um, the restaurant world? You know, we saw them a little bit more for like special events and things. So when we were pulling the out older times, bottles right? or, you know, things for winemaker dinners or things like that, then we would definitely run across it. Let me ask you this, Kim. Have you ever seen a crumbly cork or a broken cork on a sparkling wine? I've seen ones that have lost their elasticity and have let the bubbles go away. So um, when not crumbly it, per se, right. but but definitely have disintegrated. It's not the right word, but not shrunk. Um, yeah, they've shrunk. Yeah. And they haven't like retained their shape and their size. And so they let all the bubbles out of the wine. And it's very disappointing. <laughs> Just so like you, you with your very large bottle. That's what happened to mine. Why do you think they champagne or sparkling wines don't crumble like still wine because of the combination or i really have never thought about that i mean it's made from the same thing i'm just yeah. curious I've, ne I've never seen it that's why i'm saying like and i've seen many still wines where the cork it has like really shrunk yeah and you know you're gonna have a problem with it because it probably oxidized a little bit i've opened sparkling where i can't get the thing out it's really tight yeah but I've never but had it. Yeah, I've it broke, never had it crumble. Never snapped. I've never had one snap on me. I mean, we're not using a corkscrew. We're just, you know, holding the bottle. And mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, we have to keep I feel an like eye I've on had that. that happen once, like trying to open a bottle of Prosecco or something, and it just, I couldn't get it out of the bottle, and I got it like half the way, and then it. Then it snapped, and I, I was, and then I didn't really know what to do because I'm like, I'm not supposed to use a corkscrew, right? And, dangerous. Sure. So then you're entering the realm of, well, it could be dangerous to continue to yeah. try to open this wine. So yeah, it does um, it does get a little, a little nerve wracking. <laughs> we had this conversation once about that $10 bottle of Prosecco where the, it's so hard to get the cork out. Oh, it was out, impossible right? to get that cork out. Yeah. And one time I did thread a corkscrew into it because I was so determined <laughs> to get that cork out. But like you said, there's so much you had to be careful because as you're threading it and pulling it, you've got pressure behind you. So you don't know what's going to happen. Right. 
and I can't remember. I think I just angled it and pulled it and eventually got it. But I, have, so I, I think it was probably the same wine that I had the problem. Same with. bottle, same. It was the same producer of of Prosecco when we all had difficulty getting the getting the cork out. So it had to be something with that batch of corks or something. Well, if any listeners ever had a broken or crumbly cork on a sparkling, please let Kim and I know because uh, we've not really seen it. Just we want to hear your stories. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. Our program is sponsored by Franklin Public Radio. If you want more information about Kim, please go to her website, commonwealthwineschool.com. If you'd like more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. For following our show, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We are on Instagram at The Wonderful World of Wine, and our past episodes are on SoundCloud and iTunes. Next, we want to talk about something that... uh, kind of bugs me kim in the in the wine world is an article we saw in tasting table about buying cooking wine and why you should reconsider buying cooking wine at a grocery store now we're not talking about regular wines you find everywhere we're talking about the like the goya brand the holland house brand have you seen and or bought these wines kim and grocery stores? Not in many, many years, but I used to. When I was in college and I wasn't old enough to buy wine, but I still had the need for it in a recipe, then yeah, I would buy cooking wine in the grocery store. I actually felt like the name of this article was quite misleading. (laughs) I started it thinking that they wanted us to consider buying cooking wine. Like, hey, maybe cooking wines these these days aren't so bad. So you should reconsider buying cooking wine. And then it went kind of the the things that we usually talk about, which is anything that is bottled as cooking wine in the vinegar section or wherever it is they keep it in the grocery store is generally full of additives and salt and is not necessarily going to add too much good stuff to your dish. Yeah, and you mentioned you were buying when you were underage. I was 20, and, and, so I needed well, cooking yeah, wine. <laughs> still, well, this is the one thing, I think I've talked to you about this before. It's one of the things that always bugged me in the world of buying wine in Massachusetts is that wine, cooking wine, is alcohol. And it can be sold in a grocery store without a beer and wine license. So right. anyone like yourself at 20 or 18 or 10 can go into that store and buy a cooking wine, which has alcohol, and have no issue. Now, they'll say because the point you mentioned has a lot of additives, it has a lot of sodium, you wouldn't want to drink it. So that brings us back to the article saying that why would you want to cook with it? Because there's the old saying that if you wouldn't drink it, why would you cook with it, right? Kim, that's the, mm-hmm. the classic thing. So it's just one thing that always bugged me is that you can still do that. You can go into a store and buy this. Now, the other thing that I find funny is that most liquor or wine stores don't sell cooking wine. Right. They don't sell these brands. Well, but... you don't have to. <laughs> right. Right. But you, I mean, it's if it's so good for you to cook with, why wouldn't everybody sell it? It's kind of my point on that. That might be an untapped market for actual liquor stores. Yeah. A brand a section that is of cooking good wines. wine for cooking. I think we have a different, like my cooking wine is masala, sherry, that type of thing. But I know where you're going. I, I can. But would you use that in that. everything? Like if you have a dish no, that just calls for white wine, you wouldn't throw sherry in. No, but the most popular thing people say, I, I'm cooking chicken masala, right? I oh, mean, right. 
So, but that calls for Marsala. Right, right. But you can buy Holland House Marsala cooking wine, too. That is true, too. So now we have to get back to what you were saying about the sodium and everything. And a while back, I was experimenting with a cooking show. And one of the topics we wanted to cover was, is there a difference if you cook a dish with a cooking wine versus a regular wine? And one of the things that stood out the most was the amount of salt mm. and so in these cooking wines. With some dishes, it was okay because you were going to add salt anyway. But I found it interesting, Kim. Did you see what they said about the percentages of the salt? Yeah. There was a massive amount of salt. I, I was really surprised how they put this, right? Yeah. So they said like 8% of its weight in cooking wine is salt. So in a regular size 750 milliliter wine, there's two ounces of salt, which is 22,000 milligrams of sodium. And two ounces of salt is a lot of salt. Yeah. In one 25 ounce, there's two <laughs> ounces of salt, which the FDA recommends 2,300 milligrams a day maximum. So yeah. if you have... An ounce is a lot when you weigh it out. <laughs> I mean, that's... Yeah. That's... An eighth of a cup. And you've obviously salt. tasted these cooking wines, right? When you had it at 20, Once right? upon a time, yep. And, and the salt is like just Well, and I think that's how they get around that people aren't going to buy them to drink because they're so salty. Yeah, that, that, that's the exact point I yeah. got when I mentioned it too. Yeah, so, well, I mean, now you don't, do you use them at no. all? Nope. No. But, but I, I also don't pop open generally a brand new bottle of wine to cook with unless I don't have anything open on my counter, which these days I don't have a lot of open stuff around. So it is a little bit harder when you don't have four bottles open on your counter to, to cook with. But it is nice to have something lying around that is drinkable, that is inexpensive, that's not super complex, but that doesn't break the bank, but still tastes pleasant and that is good to have around just for cooking with. Yeah. I want to talk more about that when we talk about the next article, but just one last thing on the cooking wines. One of the things I do, and I, I shop every week with my wife, is I look at the cooking wines and see if they're being sold. And I do see, you know, one, two missing at a time. So I know people are buying them. It's just my kind of my thing to kind of watch it that way to see if it's trending or not. If, and who's, you know, what are you getting them for? Usually it says like a white, a red, I think there was a masala version. But anyway, we'll get we'll get off that for now. So the next article, Kim, was all wines that you should be cooking with. So when I saw this, I'll get your take. I was thinking, okay, they're gonna recommend to me what's the best wines to cook with, right? It was in Red Book. So what did you think for about this article, Kim? So I thought it it had a lot of repeated advice. You know, a lot of the same things were said over and over again. And it is recommendations that we've given people like make sure that you aren't using a wine with too much oak because then the oak flavor is going to come through. So I don't feel like there was too much new here, but a lot of it was just talking about some of the tried and true rules that we tend to give people when it comes to choosing a wine for cooking. So it didn't have too many specifics. It was more about what to stay away from than what to actually use. I'm sorry, did I say it right? Did I say you should not cook with? Uh, wines like you should not. not cook with. Yes, all the wines you shouldn't cook all with. Right. I felt like I didn't say it right. but no. And yeah, it was. So, it was, it was so, like, these are the styles that you should stay away from, and right. this is why. Right, and it seemed like 
a lot of them, we'll, we'll go through them, but a lot of them are things where you could cook with them. We, we mentioned all the time, like you just said, you don't open a new bottle, but if you have something open, you'll probably find a way to cook with it, right? Make some sort of sauce with it or something, right? Mm-hmm. So let's just talk about what they mentioned. They mentioned box wines. You should not cook with a box wine because most of them will have high sugar. See, I feel like this run right off the bat was not giving people great advice. I think that they're talking about like the older style of box wines that are box wine is different these days. You know, we have so many better things that are bag in a box that to. Yeah, I feel like they're using bad (laughs) old information on this one. I'm so glad we agree. I mean, it's such a general comment. Don't yeah. use any box wine because you don't know what the sugar level is in the one the person might have that they want to use, right? I mean, and they didn't say any particular varietal. It just said, don't yeah. use any box wine. Yeah, because so, I think that they're thinking about like the ones that are labeled Hardy Burgundy and Chablis when they're not actually Chablis, not like the newer things that are varietally labeled and are actually pretty decent and don't have as much residual sugar. Yeah. So, Brad, so, yeah, we started off with a good one because we both agree. It's kind of, yeah. And yeah. you mentioned the reasons you probably wouldn't cook with a lot is maybe because of oak. And they mentioned Cabernet and Chardonnay. You yep. wouldn't want to cook with it because of the oak. Now, if you had a bottle of Cab and it's been open for a couple of days, a lot of that time, that oakiness is going to f- kind of fade out a little bit and it'd be mm-hmm. perfectly fine to cook with, right? I-, I agree. I agree. And it didn't mention on any of these you shouldn't cook with that if it's not a, a bottle you just open. What's the word I'm looking like? Is it fresh wine or is it bottle you had open for a while type of yeah. thing? So, which makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause if, I mean, after that wine's been open for a while, we've got the fruit flavor fades a little bit, but the acidity is generally still there. So, I mean, especially if you just need a little bit to kind of deglaze a pan or something, I, I will use things that have been open for quite a while. And I'll use things that maybe, you know, wouldn't be my first choice, but if I don't have any other options, like I deglazed a pan with, with port and that was fine because <laughs> you know, it's what I had open. So I, I think that staying away from extra sugar and staying away from a lot of oak is smart, but otherwise there's a, a little bit more flexibility. And you mentioned a good point that when cooking, it's more the acidity than the sweetness. So mm-hmm. something that's open for a while, you're going to get more of that acidity out of it. What did you think about their Malbec comment? They're saying don't cook with Malbec. I didn't agree with this one. And tell us why. Because I feel like Malbec has such nice fruitiness to it that that can bring something nice to the dish. Did you know, it's got no it's a wine with personality, huh? Did they say no because of the tannins? They said the no because of the tannins. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of their recommendations were go with softer wines because of the tannins. But even when I've used a higher tannin wine in food, I don't really feel like it comes across that much. Yeah, the tannins kind of fade out. Yeah. I'll have to do an experiment, you know, the same thing, but one with a lighter style of red and then one with a more tannic red and see if I can tell the difference. Yeah. And then they mentioned don't cook with your friend Riesling because it's bitter and sweet. The bitter comment was kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't know what they're they're (laughs) feeling that is coming across that's bitter. I don't get, I rarely get any bitterness in Riesling. I I understand that you don't want to add extra sweetness to a dish if it's not supposed to be there. But I don't generally get any bitterness in um, these wines that they mention. 
Do you think they're saying this is an open bottle of Riesling that mm. over time would become bitter and lose its sweetness? No, but it doesn't. It doesn't happen. Yeah. No, that okay. doesn't happen. Good. Good. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that I can think of is that they're saying that the sweetness of the wine is going to accentuate bitter elements of the dish that are already there. But sometimes you want that. So I don't really know. And that's pretty much, they say they also don't cook with Moscato, which for the same reason, reason as Riesling, because it's too sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting they mentioned marsan because yeah. it said it won't complement food what <laughs> what does that mean uh, i mean they mention the aromatics and they throw viognier in there as well so i mean i get not wanting to use a, a particularly floral wine in your cooking but i again if it's an open i think marsan bottle, is perfectly fine to cook yeah. with <laughs> yeah, I think it's perfect, whether it's fresh or had been open for yeah. a while. I think it, it evolves totally different. Yeah. Uh, think... Maybe it's just that we are less picky when it comes to the wines that we cook with. I don't know. I, I just, I mean, this is a pretty big publication, right? Mm -hmm. Red Book, isn't it like uh, mm -hmm. big? Yeah. Yeah. So they also said don't cook with Nebbiolo because of its high tannins. I don't think I've ever used a Nebbiolo for cooking. It's too expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, if I had a bottle that had a little left, I mean, I wouldn't hesitate using it, right? I thought the last one I saw that they said not to cook with Kim, they mentioned Zinfandel. I don't know if you noticed this, but the picture was a white Zin. Yeah. Did you notice that? I they did notice that. White Zin in the picture, and they said don't use it because too much fruit. Yeah, right. Because they said that the fruitiness of the wine will translate into make you think that it's sweet because of the fruitiness of the wine. I like so that, cooking with Zin personally. And they were talking red Zin, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think Zin again is is a beautiful wine to use. So one of those things, like we always say in the, the wine world, you'll see an article that goes one way and then you, you can always find something that goes the total opposite way. The tasting table article we covered first for the Broken Cooks, I'm really liking the content that tasting table has been putting out. Yeah. I share a lot of that and I find a lot of the ones I sent to you, Kim, for us to discuss from tasting table. I think they do a good job putting out things for thought, things for mm -hmm. us to talk about versus people like this Red Book article that you just, I don't know. I, I guess if you weren't a wine geek like us, you wouldn't pick it apart, right? You'd kind of go yeah. by it, right? But I agree, I agree with you for Tasting Table. I think they've got good content. We use a lot of that uh, yeah. for conversation on the show. So, so anything else about uh, the crumbly cork or cooking? Just that a wine? crumbly cork is not going to hurt you. So even if you swallow a little bit of it, it's just wood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just bark. So not going to hurt you. In cooking wine, even if the, if the supermarket sells regular wine, just buy the regular wine. They don't go with that cooking wine. I, mm -hmm. I just don't understand the whole thing behind it. And if you've never tried it, try it just by itself and you'll be totally, it'll wake you up, right? It's, it's It'll make you want a beer. <laughs> so salty. Kim will like that. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine and on Instagram at The Wonderful World of Wine. We are supported by Franklin Public Radio, and you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers. Cheers.